If you've been with us the past four weeks, it's been quite a journey through Advent. And if I'm going to be honest, I am chomping at the bit. We've been reading these more, let's say, peculiar texts that lead us into the Christmas season. And what this requires of us is, is to, in some way, to suspend what we know what is coming so that we might experience it afresh. That's what we do. We eagerly anticipate the birth, the arrival of Jesus Christ, even though we know it's coming. And when we do that, we're also pointing ourselves to the promise of his second coming. And we've had some wonderful ta- uh, passages that have led us this far, mostly focusing on the ministry of John the Baptist. And now finally today, you are kind of the blessed ones, the lucky ones if you just showed up today, because finally we're going to get to Mary and Joseph and, of course, baby Jesus. So please turn your hearts and minds attention to the word of God for us this morning from the gospel according to Matthew chapter 1 starting here in verse 18. This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph but before they came together she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him, then took Mary home as his wife, but he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. This is the word of our Lord. If I had more of a flair for the dramatic, and if you have a flair for the dramatic, you don't want to miss this Christmas Eve because Lisa Cry is going to be providing for us a wonderful dramatic uh, presentation of the gospel. Uh, so anyways, little teaser there. Super excited for that, Lisa. Um, but if I had a flair for the dramatic, I would have tried to dramatically read through all of the Gospel of Matthew for you. Because if you notice, we started at verse 18, which means I skipped the first 17 verses because, frankly, I don't feel you have the patience to listen to the first 17 verses. Because the first 17 verses is just a big list of names. And honestly, it's like, Matthew, come on. It's been 430 years of silence. To all we know, the Lord has not spoken. No prophets have spoken. Everything has been silent. It's been always winter and never Christmas. And finally, we're about to get to Christmas. And what does Matthew do? He's like, and now read this giant list of names, 45 names 
14 generations and then another 14 generations and then another 14 generations and most of the names in fact I think every one of the names is even repeated multiple times it's all and Abraham begat Isaac and Isaac begat Jacob and Jacob begat Judah and Judah begat, and you know what the, the fact of the matter is we just lose attention we kind of drift off and say get to the point Matthew but Matthew is getting to the point because the point, if we had the patience to read through that genealogy, it would tell us it's all about the names. It is actually, in fact, all about the names. The names are telling us the story of God. The names are telling us the story of God's plan for redemption. The names are telling us all that God has been doing to bring about, to bring to fulfillment the birth of his son so that he could be with us, that he could bring to us salvation and that we could be forever with him and he forever with us. And it is in fact all about the names. And all of these names are of course leading to one very important name. And we know it is the name above all names. It is the name to which every knee will bow. It is the name at which every tongue will confess. It is the name that brings angels to shout and sing for joy. It is the name that brings shepherds to kneel before in manger and worship. It is the name that draws magi from far away to come and proclaim him the newborn king. It is the name in which the, dev the demons will shriek and run in fear. It is the name that we know throughout centuries now has brought healing. It is the name that brings new birth. It is the name that brings new beginnings. It is the name that brings love. It is the name that brings hope. It is the name that brings joy. It is the name can bring us all peace. Do you know the name of whom I speak? I hope you do. Amen, hallelujah, my sister Heather. Yes, it is the name of Jesus. And it is all about his name, my people. It's such a curious list of other names. It's very curious for who's included and who isn't included. But who's included and who isn't include us, included is telling us some very, very significant things about God and this plan of his redemption and our salvation that's unfolding. It's so curious that Jacob's name appears instead of uh, Esau because Esau was the oldest and shouldn't the birthright always go to the oldest? Well, it seems that God doesn't always care so much. His first priority isn't always the birth order. But then it seems curious because then it goes back to the birth order because then they include Judah and not Joseph. Judah was a scoundrel. Joseph is one of the closest things we have to a man without flaw and fault in the whole of the Bible next to Jesus himself. Why not Joseph? Wonderful, amazing Joseph. And the women. I preached a whole series on the women once. It's actually one of my favorite Christmas series as I've ever done. I might go listen to it again here to encourage myself this coming season. I mean, it just talks about these women that, well, why are there women in the first place? This is a genealogy of men. Men pass down the name, men pass down the line. It's all about the bloodline of the men, right? But God keeps throwing in the names of these women like Tamar who is widowed multiple times and then rejected by the family who poses as a prostitute, gets impregnated by her father-in-law and then gets pulled into the line of Jesus. What kind of crazy story of redemption is going on here? And Rahab shows up. She didn't pretend to be a prostitute. She had a season where she really was a prostitute. And then Ruth, another outsider, 
her name appears in this. And then Uriah's wife. Why Uriah? You know who Uriah's wife is anyways? Bathsheba. Does that sound a little bit more familiar? It's like the author is going out of his way to remind us that, oh, by the way, King David, from whom Jesus will be born, let's not forget that the best king you ever had was also a murderer and adulterer. What are you up to, God? What is going on with this curious list of names that lead us to the name that is above every name? Well, when we pick up the story in verse 18, we finally get to Joseph and Mary and baby Jesus. But still, the circumstances seem dire and surprise us and shock us. Joseph is pledged to be married, but being pledged to be married is not the same in that time of day as being married. It was kind of like having a wife on the layaway plan. Anybody remember putting things on the layaway plan? Anybody, anybody? Kids, you have no idea what I'm talking about here. There was a time in life when if I wanted a new toy, the Kmart, where I grew up in the world, it was, it was the Kmart, I would go in and I would give them some money and then I would leave with nothing. And then I'd give them some more money and I'd leave with, no and I'd keep giving them money and I'd leave with nothing until the new bike was paid for. And then I got to bring the bike home. Mary's on the layaway plan. Sorry for the crude analogy, but I wanted to try and drive it home here. So it's like, they're paying into it. They're getting ready for it. They're pledged to it. It's gonna happen. It's as good as done, legally speaking, but they just don't get to go off and be married yet. So we know something is up when Mary is found to be pregnant. Now, as the story unfolds and what we read this morning, this is where we get our precious little bit of information that we have about Joseph. Even though you'll notice we never get one spoken word from Joseph. But the author wonderfully gives us a few clues, a few insights about this man pledged to be married to Mary. Well, first it says that she tells him this story, which, which seems like an insult. It seems like an affront. I mean, if you, if you get caught canoodling, I mean, maybe just, just, just admit to it. But she tells this story that the pregnancy, this child is coming from God. You wouldn't believe it. I wouldn't, no, nobody would believe, it's unprecedented. There'd be no reason to believe this. And yet it says that when he hears this story, I love how the first thing we read, you know, it says that he, he considers these things. That's uncharacteristic of a lot of guys who are hotheads. So I like that. I like that about Joseph. I like it then when he enters into this situation that could cause almost any of us to lose our cool and certainly have an emotional reaction he just takes inventory and it says, well, he considers the situation. And then it says that he decided he didn't want to publicly disgrace her. Now, this is certainly no exegesis of the text. This would just be an exegesis of the human heart. The only way I can reconcile the fact that he doesn't want to publicly disgrace her is that he must have truly loved her. I mean, what else would cause this man, instead of uh, being coming bitter, he's just so brokenhearted. He says, well, I just don't want to put her to any more public disgrace and shame. But we also know that his consideration of the situation, of his desire to not disgrace her any further, that he had to live what he felt was the righteous choice, the righteous path to take. And so he decided, he resolved, it would appear, 
that he was going to set in motion the proceedings for a quiet, less publicly disgraceful divorce and distance himself from the situation. And I can imagine trying to pick up the pieces of the life he dreamed for himself and to move on, move on in righteousness and faithfulness. But it's like in that moment that God says, now your heart is ready to believe the story of redemption and salvation that's unfolding. And then we get this tale, of course, that he has this dream. And in the dream, Joseph is told two very significant things, of course. The first thing is he is told not to be afraid to take Mary home as his wife, which the subtext of that is you have a lot of things to be afraid of, in fact, Joseph, right? I mean, if you're telling somebody to not be afraid, most of the time it's because they have a very legitimate and real reason to be afraid of what is about to unfold. And he has a lot to be afraid of. He is about to link arms with, get connected with, be associated with even more than he already is with this disgraceful, shameful thing that is unfolding. Because small towns talk, rumors fly, there's always the conversation at the well. Now we have the watering you know, station at work, but who's gonna believe this story? That Mary's still faithful, that Mary's still betrothed, that Mary's still a virgin pledged to be married, that God is in this and this child to be born will be the son of God. It's, again, it's, it's, it's unprecedented. And for Joseph to be linked now with this, he is welcoming that shame upon his name and upon himself. He will carry that burden as well. All of this is, of course, part of the unfolding belittling of the gospel. We don't think about it that way too often, but the gospel in many ways belittles us. It lowers us. It takes us off our pedestal. It knocks us off our course. It changes our plans. It redirects our priorities. The gospel belittles us before it, to use an invented word, embiggens us. The gospel lowers us and strips us down before it begins to build us up. Don't be afraid, Joseph. And then he says something else. And here's why I set this up this way because it's going to take him down yet another notch because it was every father's God-given right to name their son or daughter. And as if this isn't enough, he says, and by the way, you're not going to get any say in what his name is gonna be. You are going to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. I've been thinking about naming lately. I have a daughter who was born on New Year's Eve, January 1st, the year 2000. I have, what, New Year? Well, yeah, New Year's Eve, I mean, in labor and into the day, so born then in New Year's Day, January 1st, year 2000, the Millennium Baby. I have, I own the Millennium Baby. Well, my grandmother's name was Mildred, so we thought, Mildred, Millennium, this could all work together. So we called up my grandmother. And we're like, Graham, we had a baby. It's a girl. This is exciting. Oh, that's wonderful, George. That's wonderful, Robin. And he said, we, we think, you know, in, in, in light of what all is happening here, that she's been born on the Millennium, we think we want to name her Mildred after you. 
and I never heard my Graham speak to me in such a stern and serious voice. She said, George, so help me. If you name that baby Mildred, I will never forgive you. I hate that name, Mildred. <laughs> never wanted to be Mildred, never let anybody call her Mildred, wanted it to be done. So Eden Grace Sailor became Eden Grace Sailor because my grandmother knew that names, naming means something. It still means something. It's always meant something. All the more in the past, it seemed to really mean something, that it wasn't just going to be some invented, clever, new name. It, it had to connect somebody to a people, to a place, to a time, to an event, to what was unfolding. Names carried meaning. Have you ever thought about how it's such a boss move of Jesus that he just goes around renaming people? Hey, Jesus, yeah, Andrew, what's up? I'd like you to meet my brother, Simon. Simon, nice to meet you. By the way, uh, you're Peter now. Oh, I mean, okay, you know. Hi, 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 I'm James, this is my brother, John. Mm, sons of Thunder. That's a cool one, though. I'd like taking that one, like, in a heartbeat. I mean, and like, even after he's like dead and, and back from the, from the grave, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who are you? It is I, Jesus. A P.S., you're Paul. I mean, he just, he's always claiming the right to name and rename us. Because names, of course, names mean something. Renaming somebody can mean something. I'm gonna let you in on a little clue, a little secret that goes around in Connections Church now. All of these new people and these new faces have been welcoming over the past two years now. All these people that have immigrated from other cultures and come from different countries. The name that they told you is their name probably isn't their name. Do you know that Pastor Ruth's name isn't Ruth? Oh, I'm letting out the secret. Don't tell her. She tried to tell me her birth name, her real name, her, her Indo-Chinese name. I can't pronounce it. She got to pick a name when she came here. And she knew the story of Ruth and loved the story of Ruth from the Bible. So she just said, call me Ruth. Because Ruth could mean something about who she is and who she wanted to be and how she wanted to live her life and how she wanted to honor God and how she was being brought into God's plan of redemption and salvation. Because naming and renaming means something. And so when this angel takes away the right from Joseph to name his son, he gives him the name that will convey the whole meaning, the whole purpose of his life. You are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. That's the mission of our Lord and Savior, right? He will save us from our sins. Why? Because more than anything else, we, we, all people, every man, woman, and child, we need a Savior. It's the greatest need we've ever had. It's the greatest need we ever will have and is the need that Jesus fulfills, our salvation. But then it kind of takes a turn again, doesn't it? You are to give him the name Jesus because he has saved his people from his sins. And this is to fill the, the prophecy that was given by Isaiah. You, uh, um, the virgin will be with child and she will give birth to a son and you will give him the name. And then it's not the name Jesus, right? And then all of a sudden it switches and it says, no, his name's Emmanuel, which means God with us. So what is it? And it's not too complicated. It's the whole of his name. It's the mission and the means. The mission is to save us. The means is to be with us because God's heart has always been to be with us. 
And every Christmas, I like to just reflect upon the truth that this is, in fact, the mission of God, the means of God's salvation. This is the whole of the revelation of God in one word, Emmanuel, God with us. God with us is the whole point. He made us. He wants to be with us. He wants us to be with him. And the means was through his own son, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Jesus, the mission, the Lord has come to save us. Emmanuel, the means, he will do it by coming to be with us and to be with us in this most lowly and humble estate, this most miraculous of ways to come to us as that babe born in that manger. And therefore we know that it is the name above all names. I want you to think about, reflect upon the name of Jesus this coming Christmas season. But as you do, you'll probably quickly realize, I think there's other names given. One of my favorite uh, parts of the Tolkien series, the, the Lord of the Rings, comes in the story of the two towers. Whenever the Fellowship of the Rings is preparing for the battle against Sargon and the forces of evil and darkness, two of the hobbits, Merry and Pippin, they go to try and recruit the help of an ancient race of people called the Ents. The Ents are simply a tree-like kind of race and people. And they run and they get uh, Treebeard, and they ask Treebeard to join their forces, and Treebeard calls all the other Ents to come together, and he is going to convince them to join in the battle. And so the people all gather in the morning, and the Ents spend the whole day together, and Merry and Pippin are eagerly awaiting an answer to the question, will they join in the battle? And at the end of the day, Treebeard comes back and Mary and Pippin very eagerly, very excited say, well, what's their answer? What's the answer? And he simply replies, why, we've just finished greeting one another. <laughs> he says, what do you mean you've just finished greeting one another? He says, well, we Ents are a very ancient race. Treebeard, in fact, claims to be the oldest living creature in all of Middle Earth. But he says, the thing about the true names of the Ents is that the longer we live, the longer our names get because our names tell the whole story of our lives. Then they ask to hear Truebeard's real name and he refuses to give them his real name, which is an awesome part of the story, but that's sort of the way it is with Jesus. He's not just Jesus, the one who saves us. He's also Emmanuel, the God who is with us. But did he catch a name that even came before those? He will be called the Son of God. He is the Son of God, part of the triune Godhead, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit from before all time and to the ends of all time or beyond. There will no be end of time in Christ our Lord and Savior. He is the Son of God. He is Jesus our Savior. He is Emmanuel. He is God with us. He is the bright morning star that shines for us. If we go back to that prophet Isaiah, we hear more names spoken over Jesus. He is wonderful counselor. Do you know him? Have you called upon him to give you the counsel that you need to make it through the hardships of life? He's the wonderful counselor. He is the everlasting father who will love us with the everlasting love of a father who would do anything and everything for his children. He is almighty God. Yes, he comes gently and humbly and lowly to us in Jesus, but never forget, he is almighty of God who holds all of creation in his grasp. He is the Prince of Peace. If your life is in turmoil this season, call upon him and know the peace that passes all understanding. 
He is the light of the world shining into the darkness. Jesus claims more names for himself. He is the true vine and we are the branches. He is the spring of living water, cleansing us from all sin, rising us to new life. He is the bread of life. He is the shepherd ushering us into the kingdom. He is the gate by which we pass through. Oh, these names of Jesus that just keep growing and growing as the ages go on. So um, let me invite Kellen and the team to get back up here and lead us in some closing worship. And I'm gonna give you three assignments. Can you take three assignments for this week leading up to Christmas? Thank you, I, need, I needed one person to give you the, to give you the assignment. It's, it's not too hard and I think, it could, I think it could bless you. This coming week as we look forward to celebrating our Christmas Eve worship service, think about these names. Think about the name of Jesus, the one who comes to save. Think about God, Emmanuel, God with us. Think about this one professed to be Almighty God, Wonderful Counselor, Prince of Peace, Everlasting Father. Think about these names of God and feel free to lean into one of those names for this one Jesus who brings the gift, who fills that void, who will help you in that area of need in your life this coming season. He is truly all things to all people. So think and reflect upon that name. The second thing I, I want you to think about is your own name. And to ask yourself if your name has been now grafted in to that living tree in the genealogy we read or didn't read at the beginning of Matthew. Abraham begat Isaac and Isaac Jacob and Jacob Judah and so on and so forth. Has your name now been grafted into that tree? George Saylor, now called and known by Jesus Christ, a part of this plan of salvation unfolding. Robin Saylor, Justin Saylor, Laney and Lou, and I could go around the entire room. If you haven't received that gift of Christmas to have your name grafted into that tree of life, as easy as calling upon him as Savior and Lord and invite you to do it. So think about his name. Think about your name and where you're at in that tree of life. And now here's the assignment you don't want me to give, but I'm going to give it anyways. Think about that next name, that name yet to be written into that tree of life. That name of somebody that you know, that you love, that you walk with, you're close with, that you pray for, that you care for, that you know has not yet experienced this gift, this love, this life that we have in Jesus Christ. We had such a joy this morning of truly celebrating, bringing more names into that tree of life. That's kind of the whole point. That's why we do it. That's what this baptismal font is all about, that we now celebrate miles called by Jesus Christ, a child of his, Elliot, known and loved by Jesus Christ, now a part of the family of God. Janelle, a daughter of Jesus Christ, a Lord and Savior, now a part of the church. What name would you love to see grafted into that tree of life? I'm going to say a prayer here, and as I pray, you feel free to pray for that person that maybe God has already put on your heart and your mind right now. 
Father, I thank you so much for this wonderful plan of salvation that unfolds before us like a blooming rose here in this Christmas season. Thank you so much for sending us your Son to be our Savior. Thank you so much, so much for coming to be with us so that we can be with you ever and always. Thank you so much for bringing us into your tree of life. And we pray now for the next name to be added to the wonderful work of your salvation. We pray this in your name, Lord Jesus. Amen. Let's worship. Amen.